and welcome to Plot Mechanics. I'm your host, Steve Voitage. First of all, I want to thank everyone who subscribed, commented on the first episode. It is absolutely appreciated. I'd love to hear more feedback. Everyone was pretty nice. I'd love to hear more about what interests people, what doesn't, what you agree with or disagree with, and especially what movies you'd like me to tackle. Again, I can be reached at plotmechanics at gmail.com. And if you do like what you hear, sharing, posting, leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher would be a huge help. Okay, so today we're tackling another movie from the summer of 2013, and again, spoilers come free with every episode. Hold on to your belts. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Pacific Rim, a movie that borrows from classic monster versus movies and Japanese anime. We have an epic Hollywood-scale robot versus monster fight directed by a guy who really knows how to design and film monsters, Guillermo del Toro. Now for our quick recap. First, we have a voiceover exposition of the kaiju arriving, the creation of the Jaegers, plot points of a first film that was never made. Our hero and his abs wake up with his brother and they go and fight a kaiju, winning but losing the Jaeger and his brother. Abs still intact. The kaiju program's being mothballed and being replaced with a far more robust and dynamic solution of a big fucking wall. Our hero helps build the wall that immediately doesn't work. The program that was dramatically scrapped is immediately started back up again. Our hero, who has been completely done with Jaeger piloting for at least four minutes, is reluctantly called into service again. We spend a whole lot of time trying to make two people who work well together and want to be partners not being partners until they finally become partners. The scientist from It's Always Sunny in Philly mind melds with the kaiju to figure out that they're colonizing and then has to go on a quest to do it again. Second big kaiju at an hour seven. Lose the Chinese and the Russian teams, but team completely not reluctant proves themselves. We learn from broad comedy and drifting with a kaiju that the plan is not going to work. They have to ride a kaiju into the tunnel to deliver the nuclear bomb. Third and final kaiju fight. Stringer Bell sacrifices himself to take out two kaiju. Our heroes descend into the tunnel with their Jaeger, ejecting before the Jaeger's nuclear reactor explodes in front of the alien who saw Will Smith do the same thing to him in Independence Day. Our heroes survive and hold each other chastely on the water. So this film sits at 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus says, It may sport more style than substance, but Pacific Rim is a solid modern creature feature bolstered by fantastical imagery and an irresistible sense of fun. That's a much better reception than our last movie, Man of Steel. And I did have fun. But there are those words, substance, solid. And I walked in not asking for anything other than a big, dumb, loud, giant robot fight movie. But where I disagree is that I did find some of the fun resistible. So I am fully aware that I seem to enjoy this film less than others. But either way, we still have a somewhat agreed upon 28% to play with, right? So let's play. Problem number one. The story told. Any story is only a fragment. It's a carefully selected frame, cutting off at the edges a much larger string of events. I mean, just about every story told could end with a text saying, By the way, in 500 years, all these characters you spent all this time caring about are super dead. So really, none of this mattered. It would be true, but it would of course subtract from the effect you want the story to have. The most recent Star Wars film did this. The end of Return to Jedi is joyous. It's the film equivalent of the evil was defeated and they all lived happily ever after. The new film adds more events, extends the frame. So that movie is no longer an ending and the resolution is no longer happy. It's just a brief breath before the next trouble starts. So Pacific Rim starts off with a narration to quickly fill us in on how we reach this current point of giant robots called Jaegers beating up giant monsters called Kaiju. Now, I'm going to frame it this way. Act 1. I was 15 when the first kaiju might land in San Francisco. By the time tanks, jets, and missiles took it down, six days and 35 miles later, three cities were destroyed. Tens of thousands of lives were lost. 
Act two. We needed a new weapon. The world came together, pooling its resources and throwing aside old rivalries for the sake of the greater good. To fight monsters, we created monsters of our own. The Jaeger program was born. There were setbacks at first. The neural load to interface with the Jaeger proved too much for a single pilot. Act three. A two-pilot system was implemented. Left hemisphere, right hemisphere, pilot control. We started winning. See, that's an entire movie unto itself. Now, Pacific Rim is in a sequel. The last line of that narration, then it all changed, is the start of the next film. So why would Guillermo del Toro do this? Well, I think the idea would be to get to the action as quick as possible. Three-minute VO with some cool visuals, I can do that. Then robot fight, which sort of happens with the first real kaiju fight out in the ocean when our hero Raleigh loses his brother. But then what happens? The kaiju are learning our defenses. They're adapting, evolving, and we're losing Jaegers faster than we can build them. Okay, so what's the solution? Bigger robots? Perhaps coordinating the robots into a cool, efficient squad? I mean, one robot per monster, that was the first movie. That's why we skipped over it, so we could... On the other hand, the Coastal Wall program is a promising option. A wall. A big f***ing wall. I skipped over some really fun moments in that first films. Planes taking down a monster, the first Jaeger fight, the destruction of cities, so I could literally watch a wall being built. There is absolutely no level on which that plot point works. It's not fun. It doesn't make sense. If I came to you and told you that an enormous monster was going to attack, which would you rather have protecting you? A giant killer robot or a wall? And of course, as any reasonable human being would realize, the wall immediately doesn't work. Why the hell are we even building this thing? I laughed out loud when I heard that. That dude should have been in the script writing meetings. To answer your question, I really have no idea. Why are you building that wall? In the middle of that scene is a robot fight. It's past tense. It's in a news report. Distance and drained of excitement and stakes. I can't understand why. They had to spend the time and money creating the effects for that report, and yet it's a Kaiju Jaeger fight presented in the least dramatic way possible. I mean, that isn't to say I want 90 minutes of robot fights. I really don't. As strange as this may sound to some people, that would be boring. But for a movie like this, the whole point is robots fighting monsters. So anything that isn't a robot fight should be in service of making the robot fights more interesting, dramatic, high-stake affairs. Anything other than that is wasted real estate. I was super pumped to see the Russian and Chinese teams, but they get destroyed before I even get to know them. I could have spent more time with them if we didn't waste time watching a wall being built. And that connects to our next issue. Problem number two, pacing. So the whole wall thing, as silly and as boring as it is, could be totally forgivable. It's only a few minutes. But then we have an extended sequence of trying to get Raleigh back into a Jaeger. The notes this movie plays at this part are those from a last job movie. This job needs the best. You are the best. I don't want to do it. One last time, hero. I mean, that's okay, but that should be in the setup. We're 20 minutes into this movie. The whole point, I thought, of the opening was to get us into the action and set us up quick. And aside from bogging us down, the plot points of the whole gang getting back together, which would be fine and dandy in a sequel, are laughable here. Long time. 
Five years, four months. We saw him piloting with his brother four minutes ago, literally four minutes ago. So that's it? It's over? 18 minutes, 20 seconds. We're not an army anymore, Mr. Beckett. We're the resistance. 25 minutes, 26 seconds. God, so beautiful. She looks like no. Better than you. She has a double core nuclear reactor. She's one of a kind now. Okay, it's been 15 minutes since I've seen the robot I just met. I guess now I can be nostalgic about it. It's good to see you, buddy. <laughs> it's good to see you too, brother. It's just like old times. <laughs> We're getting the band back together. But the band was together. I just met them. Why do we split them apart and then get them back together again immediately? Again, this movie is about robot monster fights. The most basic structure I can think of, there should be one to open, one at the 30 minute to 45 minute mark, and then one giant one at the end if it's about a 90 minute movie. At least. Here we have a fight in the beginning, we have this long, soft, squishy middle with characters doing pretty uninteresting things, and then we don't get to another Kaiju Jaeger fight until around an hour 8, and then another one at around an hour 45. That leaves 50 minutes in the middle of the movie where no robot fighting happens. If that middle was tense and tight and did a ton of work setting up the robot monster fights to be as intense, fun, and stakes-filled as possible, then great. But that's not what this middle does. Problem number three. Tone and the side plot. Okay, so I gotta get this out of the way. One of the reasons I enjoyed this movie less than other people is I hated the scientists. I didn't find them funny. I actually found them really annoying. Now, I talked with people who really enjoyed them, and as much as I like approaching this as an engineering problem, since these aren't really works of high art, they're entertainment machines, more like roller coasters than paintings, which isn't to say that they aren't products of a lot of really talented artists. So, if that's the case, there are some objective fixes that can happen. Show don't tell. Don't focus on things that don't pay off. Have your protagonists be active, etc. But of course, there is a lot of subjectivity in something like this, so one person's bug is another person's feature, which is especially true of comedy. But that being said, I think I can articulate a little more as to why exactly they bothered me so much. I can't think of this film without thinking about Independence Day. In fact, that film they laid out in the opening narration fits pretty well. Aliens arrive below instead of from above, aliens attack with monsters instead of a ship, they're beaten back by giant robots instead of planes, and they are defeated by a nuke instead of a computer virus. And Independence Day has a bunch of funny moments. Will Smith punching the alien, welcome to Earth. The joke about Area 51 and $900 toilet seats, realizing that they might not be able to defeat the aliens and lighting up cigars and taunting the aliens. I'm not Jewish, nobody's perfect. But in all those examples, the characters are still taking care of business. They've either just won, just lost, or diffusing the tension of what they're trying to accomplish with a joke. It's in and of the world that's created, and true to where the characters are emotionally. Now listen to this exchange. The problem, then, because see, he actually can't give you anything more than a prediction. No kaiju entrails over my side of the room. You know the rules. Every bloody day is incessant. So I feel for Idris Elba's character, Stacker, in this moment. He looks like he wants to punch the two of them. And I wish he did. I want to punch them. This humor doesn't come out of both of them needing to be right to save humanity. It comes out of both of them needing to be right for some silly schoolboy rivalry and ego. It makes me hate them, to be honest. How am I supposed to get uplifted by the Independence Day, Crispin's Day speech? 
Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! When I have to deal with these two jokers who can't even shake hands like human beings, it's not like the whole movie has to be serious. It's that you can't break the world you've built with zany, broad comedy. It rips me out of the stakes that the world is coming to an end. If comedic characters don't honor the world that was created, then I, as an audience member, don't. Problem number four, Mako. Our main hero, Raleigh, has his problems, and I'm going to try to address them when I do the rewrite. But Mako, his tough, capable fighting partner and love interest, is actually a much bigger problem. And not her character, but what story they try to tell with her. She has a very cool introduction, walking in the rain with that black umbrella, her face framed in its darkness as the helicopter carrying Raleigh descends. I was immediately interested in her. But then this gets set up. But you simulate a score. 51 drops, 51 kills. Oh, that's amazing. But you're not one of the candidates tomorrow? I am not. The marshal has his reasons. So it's set up as a kind of mystery. We're supposed to be intrigued. Oh, why can't she be a pilot? I mean, I just met her, and I'm interested in saving the world. If she helps that, great. If she doesn't, I'd like to move on. But okay, let's play this mystery out. Here are some of the outcomes that I would find interesting. She's measured as too powerful, and she would kill the person she drifts with. She's the result of an experiment, combining kaiju and human DNA to pilot Jaeger solo, or organic Jaegers. Marco is too inexperienced to rein in her memories during combat. That's not why you grounded her. I was in her memories. I saw everything. I don't care what you think you saw. You rescued her. You raised her. You're not protecting her now. You are holding her back. Vengeance is like an open wound. You cannot take that level of emotion into the drift. For my family, That's it? Now wait a minute, don't we have another character that we met earlier that lost someone? You know, someone I saw lost in front of me in all its CGI glory? Rolly, listen to me! Oh, right, Raleigh, our main character. So, explain to me why he wouldn't want revenge? I mean, that happened when she was a little girl. Raleigh lost his brother like 20 minutes ago. On top of that, given the devastation they've shown, who hasn't lost someone in this fight? This mystery dominates that soft middle of the film, and it really doesn't add an interesting dimension for the character. Added on top of that is that there's no tension between the main characters. You're unpredictable. You have a habit of deviating from standard combat techniques. You take risks to endanger yourself and your crew. I don't think you're the right man for this mission. Ooh, burn. How will they ever learn to fight together? I've seen what I need to see. Me too. She's my co-pilot. Oh, okay. Immediately. And that's, quite honestly, boring. I'm not saying they have to hate each other, but if they like each other, work great together, let's move on. Get in the frickin' robot and let's go. All those years I spent living in the past, I never really thought about the future. Until now. Oh, man. Can you feel that heat? Maybe they'll go to a cotillion together or something. 
There's no spark there. They're just two people that like each other, work well together, that then work together and in a Jane Austeny modest way enjoy each other's company romantically. That's a really nice story if it's your life, but it's boring on screen. The Center This is a monster attack disaster movie with a twist that humanity fights back with giant robots. So what are we keeping? The three main giant robot monster fights will be intact. This film could simply be the narration laid out in the beginning of the movie, as I noted, but let's honor the idea that we want to jump right into the action. We'll also be keeping most of the players the same as well. We're just going to heighten the stakes for the world, tighten the character motivations, and support those fights better, and have one big change to Act 3. Act 1. We're going to cut the narration, because I'm pretty sure you can get all that information in with lines to other characters, including... So Jaeger pilots turned into rock stars. Danger turned into propaganda. Kaijus into toys. Just by showing the world. In fact, we're going to start with one of our scientist characters in a dirty RV in the middle of a California desert. Watching a cartoon based on the top teams that protect the Pacific Rim. The Australians, the Chinese, the Russians, the Americans, and since I love the idea of different teams and I want more of it, we're going to add a Japanese team and a Brazilian team. I understand Brazil is on the other side of South America, but Kaiju have big strides, and I think we could all let it go to have a robot that can do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, that's what I thought. So our dirty, messy scientist is eating kaiju cereal, and his Jaeger cartoon is interrupted by a special report. The Jaeger teams are planning a special assault. We cut to the Jaeger teams being briefed. There's a stodgy government scientist, and he explains his plan of sending a nuke through the throat to close the rift. The teams are responsible for certain areas, but not where they come from because the drift would be affected by them worrying about their families or their friends. So the Chinese protect Australia, the Australians protect Brazil, and so on. The Japanese and the Americans are the top two teams, with the Japanese protecting the American coast in a beautiful reversal, and the Americans protecting Japan. But they are intense rivals. Mako and her brother of the Japanese team are strictly by the book. Raleigh and his brother loose with the rules. Both are effective, but they each get on each other's nerves. Big, enormous set piece of a huge kaiju attack, coordinated amongst all teams. Dirty scientist from the RV tries to warn people that it's not going to work. No one listens. American team has to improvise. Japanese coast gets decimated and Raleigh loses his brother. But the plan works. Act 1 ends with a victory, but at a cost. Act 2. So if you want to recollect the team, and you want to build a wall, you want to lull, you need some time to pass. You need there to be peace. They mothball the Jaegers because they're expensive, and there's no need for them anymore. Raleigh is working on the big defensive wall because he's broken and wants to disappear after the loss of his brother. Didn't you used to be somebody, says another worker. The team is collected again because the rift is reopened, or an attack happens that rips us out of our complacency. Now, I want Mako to lose her brother, and she can either lose him in the fight or years later because of sickness. If we have this lull, I prefer to be the sickness because he piloted Jaegers by himself or whatever. If we don't want this lull, then he has to die in the fight like Raleigh's brother. And then we simply jump into the action by the plan not working immediately. We know right away that it didn't work, so they just continue on, and we don't gather anybody. But either way, now we have the teams together again, getting ready for another fight. But Raleigh and Mako have to be paired up now, but they hate each other. Raleigh believes Mako's carefulness got his brother killed. Mako believes Raleigh's recklessness cost innocent civilian lives. There's real tension. 
There's a scene where they're fighting hand-to-hand, each saying something after they catch them. They get out all their tension in history. That scene ends with a general watching, which they didn't know he was there. If you use half of that on the enemy, we'll be all right. In this version, he is very much in support of them being team members. They just don't know if they can do it. In this version, we'll also get more time to get to know the other teams, the Chinese, the Russians, and now the Brazilians. We'll still have our B story with the dirty nobody scientist being proved right, who is now working with the stodgy government one. They both want desperately to solve the problem of the throat, but there will be comedy coming out of the friction on how to do that. Act 2 ends with several kaiju coming in to fight, worse than ever. The teams are deployed, Brazilian and Australian teams are lost. Mako and Raleigh fall in and out of drift because of the anger that's still built up between them. Act 3 So we start Act 3 with Mako coming to Raleigh saying we need to figure this out. Should we talk? They both nod. Then they just throw themselves at each other and have aggressive sex. Or sexy and aggressive kissing since we need to keep it PG-13. They find common ground. They say they're blaming each other for their own guilt. They forgive each other and themselves because they have no other choice to make it work. The scientists have a breakthrough. Now, okay, time out. When watching this movie for the first time, I thought it was going to do something that it didn't. It put a whole scene in my head that never happened. Or it did, but not nearly as in fun a way as I imagined. It's actually one of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast like this. So, the scene that got put into my head was because of this line. Think about that. I could tell you exactly how to get through the breach yourselves. You'll suggest... Now, in the film, that ended up being personally delivering a nuke. But in that moment, I thought of a completely different ending, one I personally think is more fun. So, that's what we're going to do. The scientists brief the general and the remaining pilots. We can't shut down the wormhole, but we can help. How, asks one of the pilots. Scientist. We're fighting a war, and you can't play defense all the time and expect to win. The room goes silent. Pilot. You've found a way for us to go through the throat into their world? The scientists nod. Stacker, Idris Elba says, We're taking the fight to them. Kick in the music. Now we get to go kick some alien butt on their turf. The teams prepare. Their mission is to do some damage, get a scan of the world, and get out. They use a kaiju to go through the rift. Now here we can get funny parodies of aliens running from the Jaegers, like they're Japanese people running from Godzilla. I like the reverse symmetry of we're the monster in the monster movie attacking an alien city. The Jaeger take on kaiju in the alien cities. They get their scan and they just barely make it out, as a whole bunch of kaiju or other cool alien defenses cause them to have to eject from their Jaeger. Our heroes, Raleigh and Mako, end up in the ocean as in the original film. Mako. Do you think we accomplished anything? Raleigh. They know we're trouble now. Maybe even more trouble than we're worth. But if they come back, we'll be ready, won't we? Mako. You're damn right. PG-13 kiss as the jets fly overhead with a sequel set up and all ready to go depending on the grosses. So that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. Again, if you like it, please subscribe, please like, please leave a review on iTunes and or Stitcher. We are available on Stitcher's mobile app, also SoundCloud and iTunes. I can be reached at plotmechanics at gmail.com. So until next time, thanks. Thanks.